0: And he said, invariably, every time he got up to preach, there was a fellow sitting out in the assembly, and he said there was a beam right behind where this fellow sat. And as soon as he got up and began his introduction, he said this fellow was just kind of jostling around trying to get comfortable so he could get his nap in. So I hope you won't do that. And listen, if I put you to sleep, then I guess it's my responsibility to wake you up. But we're going to try to get in, get out. Thank you for coming back this afternoon. We appreciate so much your presence. We hope that this will inspire others to maybe stay or to come back since it is the afternoon. I know that this hour, this time of day, some of you are probably already fast asleep. And so we're going to try to get you back home very quickly. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the passage that was read a moment ago. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God what we want to talk about this afternoon has to do with building our faith ultimately all of us ought to want to develop what we might call a rock solid faith you remember the apostles on one occasion said to Jesus Lord increase our faith there are some things that I want to just share with you in our study today number one Let's just talk about the germination of our faith. Now, I do want to preface everything today by saying it might be the case that one of the tools that will help you stay locked in is to take notes. Sometimes I think that it's helpful to take notes during a lesson and that way uh, you're staying right with the message. And so if you want to do that, that'd be great. So what about the germination of the seed? You remember long ago, Isaiah said that God's word would not return to him void. In other words, it would accomplish what it was intended to do, and that's ultimately to yield fruit, to bear fruit. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talked about how he watered Apollos, or rather, he planted Apollos watered, but he said, God gave the increase. So as we think about the germination of our faith, as we noted a moment ago, Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In order for that seed to germinate, it has to find a home, in, as what Jesus said, an honest and good heart. That's found in Luke chapter 8. Now, you remember he said the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. So that seed is deposited into the heart Of those who are what we would call the hearers so what about this word and the germination of the seed there's some things I want to just share with you very quickly number one I want you to think about the power of this seed the power of God's Word God's Word has the power the ability to accomplish its intended purpose Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You remember in Acts chapter 20, in verse 32, the apostle Paul, in his conversation with the elders of the church from Ephesus, they had met with him in Miletus. And he said, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able. That's the same word as found in Romans 1.16, translated power. And so what he's saying is God's Word has the power, the ability to, number one, not only save the soul, but to strengthen the soul, to maintain a saved relationship with the Lord. So we think about the power of the seed, the power of the Word of God. But then there is a second thought. It has to do with the fact that this Word, this seed, is provocative. Provocative. It evokes change. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2. You remember on Pentecost Day when Peter and the apostles preached the gospel? Jesus had told the apostles back in John chapter 16 prior to His death on Calvary that the Holy Spirit would be given to them. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit would be He would convict the world of sin. So now we're talking about The fact that God's Word has the power, the ability to evoke change in the lives of people. So on Pentecost Day, what happened? They preached the gospel. And Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly this same Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And Luke said, When they heard that message, they were pricked or cut to the heart. And so they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Therein lies. The fact that this seed, this Word, is provocative. It has the ability to cut to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Remember the Hebrew writers say that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's Word is powerful. It is provocative. And then, if it's going to germinate and ultimately yield fruit, it has to be viewed as that which is personal in nature. I want to suggest something. When we read and study the Bible, when we sit in Bible class or when we come together on the first day of the week and we listen to the Word of God, we ought to listen as if we are the only people present. Sometimes there's a tendency to think, well, you know what, he's talking to my neighbor or he's talking to her or whatever. But to understand that the Word of God is intended to be personal, isn't it? You remember when Pontius Pilate, Asked the question in the long ago during the trial of Jesus, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? In Mark chapter 4 verse 20, Jesus talks about the different types of soil into which the seed is planted. Only one type of soil, one type of heart was ultimately fertile. But He said that fertile soil, that heart wherein the seed germinates, those people hear the message... They accept it or receive it, and then they bear fruit. So number one, the germination of our faith. And the idea is that that seed that's deposited will yield fruit, bear fruit. Now there's a second thought. First, the germination of our faith. But then secondly, let's talk about the growth of our faith. Did you know that we have a responsibility to grow in our faith? Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2? As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in grace and knowledge. So we have the responsibility to grow in our faith. I think about Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he said, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control or temperance. To self-control or temperance, perseverance. To perseverance, he would say, we are to add godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. He said, if these things be in you and abound, they make you to not be unfruitful or barren in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the responsibility that rests upon all of us to grow. But then there's a second thought. We have to be receptive to the idea of growth. In other words, it is an individual thing. How much do you want to grow? Do you desire to grow? You know, there are some folks that have been in the church many, many years. And as time has gone by, they have failed to grow spiritually. Now here's the sad part of that. There is no way to go back and recapture that time that's been lost. You can start today and try to build on the faith that you have. But we have to be receptive to the idea of growing. When Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. There has to be this receptive heart. A heart that is fertile. That seed's been planted. Water's been given, attention's been given, and there is the cultivation of faith. So, the responsibility to grow, being receptive to the idea of growth. But then there's a third thought here, and that is, we must resolve to grow. Do you earnestly desire to grow in your faith? I believe that God will bless us if we, genuinely desire to grow. Do you remember what Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5? He talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In other words, there is a sense of zeal, a desire. We want to grow. We want to do everything within our power so that our faith will grow and mature and bud and be a blessing in the lives of others. And listen, it'll bless our lives too. So there has to be this resolve. And then there's a final thought here. What I would say to be a reminder. There's something we need to remember. All right? What's it going to take to grow my faith? What's it going to take for you to grow your faith? Number one, first and foremost, you've got to have the truth of Almighty God. The only way that you will grow, your, your growth, the growth of your faith is tied to this book right here. The only way that you can expand in your faith is to spend time in this book. Do you remember what the psalmist said in the long ago, how he meditated on the law of Jehovah? He said, In that law, he meditated day and night. You think he had a desire to grow closer to God? You think that there was this desire to? try to spend time in the truth of Almighty God. The psalmist would go on to say in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. The more time you spend in the Word of God, I can tell you this, you will see your faith grow and it will bless your life. One of the real problems sometimes that we face in life as, a, as Christians we haven't grown as we should, and so when we face conflict or trouble or trial or difficulties in life, our faith is not strong enough to sustain us. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15? To be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The devil wants to push us around, doesn't he? The devil wants to do everything within his power to destroy our faith in Almighty God. And so in an effort to resist the overtures of the world, the devil, then we've got to spend time in the truth of Almighty God. There's a second thought here. First, the truth. But then secondly, we grow by trials, don't we? I'm not saying that we relish those trials and difficulties in life. But look again at what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, adding to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control. What was that word? Patience, perseverance. So to understand something about holding on and going on in the trials of life. Again, look at James chapter 1. When James said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't think he's saying at that point in time in life that we're relishing every difficult moment that we're facing. But I do believe that James is saying, once you get out on the other side of those trials, you have the ability to look back, reflect upon what you faced, and then you can ask the question, okay, what did I learn from that? Did I learn anything? And so trials can ultimately benefit us. Now, they can make us better. Sometimes people become bitter because of what they faced in this life. But James is saying that they can be stepping stones to what? To greater faith. To being what we ought to be so that we might have a mature faith in the Lord. So, number one, truth. Number two, trials. And let me just just thought of this. What about the Apostle Paul? Remember he had that thorn in the flesh? And he said three times he asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. Do you think that the Lord intended for Paul to grow in his faith as a result of that thorn in the flesh? I think he did. So trials can be beneficial. But then there's a third thing, and that is time. It takes time to grow, doesn't it? Some of us who are older today, remember when you were young? I remember when I was a teenager, I wanted to be grown. You know, there's, we can wish all day long that we were older. It's amazing to me that when you're young, you want to be old. When you're old, you want to be young. Something's not right with that picture, but it's true, isn't it? Now, we can wish that we were older as a young person all day long. It's not going to change anything. Why? Because there is a maturing process, isn't there? We grow and develop. Well, what's that? It takes time, doesn't it? Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow. It takes time. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and talked about the qualifications of elders, one of the things that he pointed out An elder is not to be a novice in the faith. Every person, when he or she obeys the gospel, is a novice in the faith. That is, we're a babe in Christ, aren't we? And so it takes time to grow. The flip side of that is, sadly, sometimes we can waste a lot of good time, and we haven't grown as we should have, as the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. And so we need to be retaught again the fundamentals of the faith. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. We talk about the germination of our faith, the growth of our faith, but then thirdly, the guidance of our faith. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight, okay? If I'm supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, It would only seem to reason that I need something that's going to guide me in my faith. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3? All Scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Think about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. When he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. The psalmist simply saying that the word of God has the power to illuminate our pathway in life. The world said to be in darkness. Jesus said, lights come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. So we take the light of God's word and we make our way through life, don't we? Let me share something with you about the word of God. We talk about God's word Guiding us. God's Word will critique our life. Did you know that? The Hebrew writer said in chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That means when I take this book and open it up, it will critique my life. Now, you know, there is positive criticism and there is negative criticism. So when I open this book, James talks about it being a mirror, and I look deeply into the mirror of God's Word. Well, I get a reflection of how I'm living, don't I? And it will critique my life. It will confirm things that that I'm doing that are right, and it will correct things that I'm not doing right. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3? That the word of God can confirm what we're doing right? It points us in the direction of righteousness' sake. But then if I'm doing something that's not right, kind of, kind of like a tire that's not been balanced. Well, is it gonna let me know something's amiss in my life? Sure it will. But now that entails me having an honest and noble heart. I've got to be willing to look deeply within the recesses of my heart and to examine myself. Do you remember what Paul said 2 Corinthians chapter 13? Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, to sit down and to analyze the Word of God and to allow it to critique our life. Let me tell you what, this book will give you counsel for daily living. Did you know that? I mean, that's what God's Word is intended to do, to counsel us, to point us in the direction of righteousness. Now, the question might be, are we looking to the Word of God for counsel? And in so doing, will it not provide us with a sense of confidence in our relationship to God? Am I perfect as a Christian? Absolutely not. But I can know this, that if I walk in the lights as He he is in the light, Jesus, of course, His cleansing blood makes it possible for me to enjoy an ongoing relationship with Him, doesn't it? And so John said, if we walk in the lights as, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Is that going to give me confidence for living every day? And what about over in 1 John chapter 5? When John said, these things I write to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. As I grow older in this life, and as I come to understand that, you know what, my time is coming to a close here on planet Earth. Wouldn't it be the case that I would want confidence in my salvation? That I'd want to have confidence in my relationship to God? that I don't have to worry about what lies ahead in the future, that I can have confidence that the promises that are outlined in Scripture, God will hold to those promises. The Bible says He is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, We know that if this earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. Let me tell you what, that's confidence, isn't it? Then there's another thought, and that is the Word of God. As we think about this guiding light, the Word has the ability to bring comfort to us, doesn't it? You ever stood at the side of an open grave? And let's just say that you're standing at the side of an open grave, and that's your mother, your father, or that's your brother or sister, or that's your child. Isn't it comforting to know that this life is not all there is? To know, as Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that the Lord Jesus has the keys to the cemetery, and that body that is planted in the ground will one day be resurrected. Let me tell you what, that brings comfort. And go back and look at I think about Paul in Romans chapter 15. When Paul said that those things that were written before time were written for what? For our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Can I go back and look at the Old Testament and read about people that faced tough times? Can I read about people that were faced with the end of life? Hezekiah would be an example? Sure. I can read about people that face the joys and frustrations of life, and because they made it, I can be inspired to be faithful to God and to draw comfort from that. I can learn from that. Fourthly and finally, what is the goal of faith? Today is... A remarkable era. I mean, you think about living in the era that we now find ourselves. Used to, you had to have a road map, didn't you? Had to plot your course. You can get in your automobile today and you can plug an address in, can't you? And once you plug that address in and hit go, what happens? It will take you from door to door, won't it? So what's the goal? I mean, what's what's living the Christian life all about? Here it is. Look at what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 9. Peter said, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me tell you what it's all about. It's about one day getting home to be with God. The Hebrew writer talked about those great patriarchs of the past who look for a city whose builder and maker is God. So what do we do? In our spiritual GPS, our destination is heaven, isn't it? Heaven or bust. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When it's all said and done. Remember the song that we sing from time to time, Just one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. Will it have been worth the time and sacrifices to get to heaven? Will it? And you know when you plug that address in your GPS, and when you get to where you're going, what does that little voice say? You have arrived at your destination. You're here. Let me tell you what, where we're heading is heaven. That's what we ultimately want. That's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And it was Peter, and Peter was with the Lord when he spoke those words. And Peter said, we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, it fades not away, and it is reserved in heaven for you. How many people over the last 2,000 years have found comfort and inspiration in those words? What's the goal of faith? to get home and to get home safely so building our faith i would hope and pray that all of us are intent on building day by day our faith in god if you're here this afternoon and you're not a christian could i encourage you to take that step of faith put your faith and trust in jesus as the son of god Be willing to turn away from the world, the life of sin that is so prevalent in society. And then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Jesus is the Son of God. Be immersed in water so that all of your sins can be washed away. Let me tell you what, when you do that, you are on the road to get to heaven. That old saying, turn right and stay straight till you get home you're here today and you're not what you ought to be maybe you need the prayers of the church could we pray with you and for you you know when we're baptized into christ the bible says that the lord adds us to the church acts 2:47. we are numbered among the redeemed that's going to count for something one day so if you're here today and you need the prayers of the church won't you come as we stand and sing and I yeah.